Welcome to the Your Message Received Podcast. And now, taking your message to the finish line, your host, John Duffin. Hey folks, this is John Duffin here from Duffin Media, and welcome back to another episode of Your Message Received. Your Message Received is the place, the place that is, um, to find your best, most authentic voice. Yeah, sure, find your best business voice, but it's also find your true voice, your true calling. Get what you want, find what you need, improve your results, increase sales, find a person of your dreams. Yeah, they're lofty goals, I know. But the fact is we're going to work hard to get you at least some of those. And the way that I get to do that is I get to talk to some really cool people along the way that help me along this journey. Folks, I'm thrilled that you keep listening, liking, sharing, and subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and a bunch of other places. Please do keep doing that. Uh, it, it's great to have you along for the ride. And speaking of along for the ride, I get to introduce somebody by way of East Hampton, New York, Brian Hutchison. Welcome to the show, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That was well done, John. You're really good at the, the intro. Why, thank you, Matt. Why, thank you. Hey, by the way, I think I, I hope you're most impressed that I didn't need to force an N in your name. Uh, oh, my God. So thank you so much. It's like a lifelong struggle, honestly. Almost everywhere I go, almost anything printed about me, the amount of times I've had to email agents or, you know, publicity to say, you know, take the N out, please. It's, uh, <laughs> it's been kind of a disaster. I've, you know. Someone recommend I change it to Hutchinson at one point, and I was like, you know, that's yeah, like, right. How about no? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's not that hard. <laughs> See, this is the one part of the problem. As I find, as I get older, one of the things is I get a little more crotchety. I'm like, no, I'm not changing my name because yeah. I don't know how to spell. Right. Uh, so it's just great that you're here. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate you, and I followed you on Instagram, which is like I said, basically f weird how how you find people and True. you know on the on the days where i sit around and think oh my god john you're just spending too much time goofing around on instagram then i think you know what maybe not so maybe that's not so ryan for you how much like i said for yourself how much time do you feel that you need to spend on social media professionally and or personally versus how long you actually spend on social media well, you know, I have the same problem a lot of people have, including you, uh, <laughs> you know, probably more time than than I want to. I mean, I wasn't on Instagram a few years ago. And then when I did uh, a play on Broadway, The Boys in the Band, yep. um, I would have been the only person not on Instagram. So this thing that I resisted uh, for so long, finally, I was like, you know what, I should I should do this. I don't I don't want to be left out of that. I want to be part of the marketing. And it was just, it made sense. You know, it was at, at a time professionally that I, I was, um, you know, able to sort of take that leap for, for those reasons. And, and before that I resisted it, I was on Facebook, but not even on that much. And so since I've been on Instagram and since I started understanding the engagement and found like a positive way through it all, I've actually really enjoyed it. I mean, it can be a time suck, definitely. I spend too much time on it on occasion for sure, uh, especially when I'm not working hard, you know. But but then I've found other people like like yourself and 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 many other people and also actors like all over the world, which is interesting. 
artists, um, people who love the outdoors, people who enjoy the same things I do. So, I mean, I, I think there are pretty amazing things about it. Um, it leaves a lot of the politics out of it, you know, which can be really divisive on Facebook. And so um, I've actually really enjoyed a lot of things about Instagram and I love photography too. And that's kind of what got me sort of into it at the beginning. And with the photography, what's the type of photography? My, my brother-in-law, God rest his soul, who passed away, was an avid photographer. And he met my sister Maureen, Michael, Michael Ward. Uh, he met my sister Maureen through NBC. And so I remember Michael as the best photographer I ever, ever saw in my life, ever, ever oh. encountered in my life. And every photo that I saw from Michael, you knew it was him. What yeah. do you, in terms of what draws you in photography, what do you like to capture? Well, I mean, I, I think it started with um, industrial stuff. I'm from Pittsburgh and I was really mm -hmm. interested in like the decaying steel industry and the landscape there and, and what that city looks like with three rivers and a lot of uh, uh, crumbling industry and, um, you know, steel mills and cement factories. And there's just so much to explore there along the rivers. And so when I would go back years ago, when I first sort of got a camera, um, I would spend a lot of time doing that. And then over time, I sort of, you know, followed my own advice, which was as an actor, as a theater actor who was often doing plays out of town, especially early on, right. um, I started taking headshots of actors and it started with like backstage uh, uh, dressing room portraits and yep. just interesting theater shots um, outside like a brick wall of a theater or a theater entrance. And I was just finding uh, those those pictures were really sort of interesting to me. Um, actors in repose, you know, or or candid photos of actors in the dressing room. and. Um, then I started doing more headshots and, and then friends started asking me to take their headshots and and I honestly love it because as an actor, you know, you always are expected to be on you're expected to be concerned with mm -hmm. your performance, how you look, how you sound and, and it's, you know, it's such a visual thing that that to take pictures of other people and make them feel good, make them feel beautiful, make them feel seen and to try to capture their face at interesting angles and and uh, you know, find something about them that is uh, vivid and interesting and really purely them. Um, I've really grown to to love that. You know, it takes the pressure off me as an actor and it allows me to use what I've learned, I think, in acting and uh, and just about being in front of the camera and sort of, you know, translating that and, and allowing a lot of young people, a lot of students to feel really good about themselves uh, while they're getting their picture taken. You know what? I'd, I'd love that all of it and i love the the appreciation from those actors being seen so to speak yeah. uh, that there's something beautiful about that in terms of what was captured god you said a lot in that point as well too you brought up pittsburgh i love that so i'm, I'm a philadelphia boy and <laughs> right. if you are not from pennsylvania or the near east coast you often think people will ask of me philly pittsburgh like we're neighboring right neighboring cities and five hours is a lot it's of distance far. yeah right oh it's a haul um but you brought up some things as it regards to um the town and what you were capturing photographically it's weird because i my images of pittsburgh all are around the water and three rivers and yeah. isn't the bridge beautiful and look at the new stadiums you see the grit you feel the grit and i and, yeah. and, and i like that um by the way i love the fact that like i said coming out of pittsburgh uh 
you had a fairly impressive group of other actors leading the way uh, out of that town. People be I like guess, Pittsburgh, yeah. but I think like Michael Keaton and Charles Grodin, uh, Joe Mangiello. Uh, yep. I butchered Zach Quinto. Zach Quinto. Uh, too. Right? Yeah. Uh, oh, my God. As I said, it's a lengthy list. F. Murray Abraham yep. and and Brian and Chris Hutchison. Yeah, true. So to, to, to be put on that list as well, too. So... You brought up, like I said, you brought up Pittsburgh. Um, you and your brother. I love you had quoted or, or were quoted in an interview talking about the fact that for you, coming out of Pittsburgh, it was a little bit easier um, at, and from a family side because you had a brother come out first. And, right. Odd choice of words. What, I, what I'm just saying, as for me as a gay man coming out, what I'm saying. But first, who led the charge? Yeah. Was there like a competitive scenario with you and Chris a collaborative sense what was it like um two actors in a family yeah well Chris is not gay for the record um no right that's what I'm saying I know I know, I know. <laughs> so um yeah, breaking just, news he's, he's oh, happily, he's happily married to a big actress of voice talent uh absolutely right? yeah no he, he's amazing I, I will say you know in high school uh he he was acting as, as was i and i think he was just more he was more mature he seemed older than he was he was interested in really sort of substantial you know visceral drama and he was good and and you know i think then um after college he went to los angeles and he started to get a few parts you know pretty quickly and he did some yeah. regional theater and did some plays at pittsburgh public theater um at a time when he was back there right after college and and i guess it did make me feel like oh i'm interested in this and i could do this like i could it definitely was helpful mm -hmm. i mean there wasn't so much of a competition as at that point we got along really well so i mean most mm -hmm. of the the early sort of competition we were sort of done with i think uh yeah you know, gotcha. growing up in the same house and being right. brothers mm -hmm. close in age but um i i did see it as like um uh, a, a door opening in a way about something being possible at least there being that sense that there was um you know there was a possibility there was uh as sort of a passion to maybe try it at some point and and it was a signpost you know in a way that it was possible that's that's really cool because i would think with so much of now look i i know you you have traveled you were in you know, went going to the university of san diego you you as you talked about you just said it a moment ago uh opportunities out of town mm -hmm. i'm curious before you hit so so to speak the big city what was that like bouncing around um and these are not all smaller towns but it's not new york what was that like how did that feel like for you uh basically going it alone was it lonely was it exhilarating what was it like so you mean when i was doing regional theater outside yeah, of the exactly you know, yeah. so it was um i mean that was a really good time of my life and mm -hmm. in many ways i mean there were lonely times of it but in general i think that's when you learn how to act you learn how to lead a company right. you learn how to be on stage you know center stage you, you understand kind of what it's like to go through a whole rehearsal process and maybe be the the lead in the show and what that's like out of town and what that responsibility is with the other actors and um you know managing your time and i i loved it i mean i did plays i did a play in buffalo in the middle of winter and you know it's brutal 
but it was an experience. They said an NFL no. playoff game there, and My it was God. a reminder of yikes. Um, it was crazy, and you know, really cold and really lonely, and just me right. and these two older guys. And I was I was in my twenties, and so you know, it was a, sort of a lonely time. But I spent you know some time writing and reading, and a lot of time drinking coffee in my time off. But <laughs> the play was cool. I learned how to do that. I wanted to be good in it. I think I was fine in it. I don't know. But, um, and then, you know, I did other plays in DC and in San Diego again, uh, uh, uh Pittsburgh being back home was really nice. Um, yeah. So it's like between, like I said, so, I mean, stuff, I mean, as I'm just all my sons, uh, yeah, yeah. Orange. Hey, sure. I'm curious on those early regional productions, can you think of an example of when you knew like in your mind, like, and, and I'll, I'm certainly going to get to, uh, I'm, I'm using the acronym, I stay, I'm going to get to that. But before I'm just, when you yeah. knew, it's like, oh, I'm not bad at this. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to really pursue it. Right. I think when I first, I first moved to New York after college and right. I, you know, it, it's tough. I was there for a couple of years. You get kicked around, you know, you get your ass kicked. It's hard. Right. It's, um, you know, when you don't know anybody, I, I think I started to realize when I was seeing plays in New York, I remember seeing Arcadia and Lincoln Center and Billy Crudup was in that. And yep. I always yep. use that as an example, because that was a real moment for me when I was like, oh God, if I want to do this, I, I got to to get there from here, I need to go back to school. I need to really understand how this works. So that's when I applied to grad schools. And I think it was during the time in grad school when I realized I was being given certain opportunities and right. and certain responsibilities. And I feel like rising to the occasion at the time, um, even without the the experience, I really had the the interest, the passion, the excitement to do it. And um, And I would just, you know, you sort of, suck up all this great energy from all the people that come in so many people come to the old globe theater um while you're there you're you know they do 12 plays a year or something so when you're there for a few years you get to see all these different companies come in you get to see what works what doesn't who's really good who's not you know able to kind of um uh be on stage as maybe as much as they were at right. another time who, who loses uh, the interest yeah. um and so you really get a sense of of you know, sort of where you might fit into this business, you know? And so I did have that sense. And then when I moved to, to New York, I, I started working pretty quickly. Um, and, you know, you're just beating the odds. And I think it was kind of a slow progression. Instead of just one moment, it was this sense of like, okay, I'm, I'm getting some jobs. I'm, I'm getting my feet wet. I'm understanding what it's like to get to work out of town and in town and be an understudy on a Broadway show. And so, uh, you know, getting that work was, uh, was really important for all that. God, I, I love that the expression overcome uh, or beating the odds, and, and that's just a really nice, classy way to put that because mm -hmm. that they are some odds that you're doing as well too. So you're moving along, and I'm loving all of this. And as I said, and so you're getting more work, you're getting more experienced. Yeah, I like the fact, and I'm I like that you are clearly a risk taker. And I read in an older interview, you were it was it had to do with the, with the place uh, Smokefall. And okay. you were being interviewed, right? And, and, and the person was asking you at the time something like, well, it's been done a couple of times. Mm -hmm. um, did you revert to that? 
And I loved your answer. And it's not, this is not a memory question. <laughs> yeah. It's more of an appreciation question. Good. Of the fact you clearly take risks. So there's oh. your clue in case you don't remember. <laughs> How did you feel about it? Why did you make the choice for, so to speak? Why did you make the choice in essence to use your own tunnel vision and your own vision rather than the history that was already, or the pictures or the artwork that was already painted? I mean, I guess in doing that play, like I wasn't really aware of what they had done before, you know, because I hadn't seen it. Those productions were in um, in California and in Chicago, and they both did well. But um, I just sort of trusted my gut when I read that play. And, um, you know, it was really interesting because uh, Zach Quinto and I were playing these brothers in the womb before we were born. And it's a really interesting, almost like vaudeville act. So I just kind of like went with my own idea of what that would be to be the kind of uh, the the nervous, concerned brother about, you know, who was who was going to be born and what life was going to be like. And, you know, what this sort of existential crisis was before you're even you know on the planet. So um, that to me was a fun challenge. And so I wasn't really concerned with what had been done before because it was the same director too. So I, you know, trusted if she wanted me to do it, then she was interested in kind of, you know, where I was going with it direction wise uh, from the audition. I think that's very interesting. So then now, I mean, obviously it's different as it regards to the choices that are either are, are made available to you or mm -hmm. your own creativity. You get, you have more of, of the art of choice, but my question would be overall, what are some of the things when you see a script, when it when it, you're called upon to use your voice, what is it that you're looking for, so to speak, to think, you know what, either my voice fits or mm -hmm. I can create a voice that will yeah. fit this material? I think that's true, like liter literally and figuratively. And, and you know, you're, you're a good person to ask that question because I think of it as like, can I hear this coming out of my voice, my actual voice, you know? Um, without without putting an actual voice on it, um, I start to think like, is this like a language that I'm familiar with? Is this something that feels comfortable to me? And if it's not comfortable, is it challenging? If I want to put the script down, is that for the right reason? Is it is it because I'm bored reading it? Is it because uh, or is it because I have a sense of like uh, I, I it's a little scary, you know, to think of what this part would be like. Um, and, you know, there have been a few times where reading something a few times, I start to kind of challenge myself. And I think, you know, I, I would love to do this. I would love to give this a shot. And um, so I think I think over time, that's more what I've learned is like when I start saying the lines out loud and they feel right, you know, as I'm reading something mm. or I read a scene and, it, and I connect with it emotionally or I realize someone really wants something and they're having trouble getting there or someone is emotionally stunted or going through this this crisis or existential crisis. I, I love that kind of stuff. I think when it when it's too, I mean, early on, I think, um, you know, I was given some some scripts that weren't as challenging as sort of the young guy in a lot of older plays. And, um, you know, unless that person's really going through something, it wasn't that interesting to me. And, and as I get older, you know, the same the same kind of thing. I want a challenge. I want an emotional challenge mm -hmm. and um, and something like that does speak to me for sure. What are some of the emotions typically that you, <clears throat> with this vast range of emotions and experience, what are some of the emotions now, uh, emo emotions, what are some of the emotions now that you're like, oh, I like that. I want to feed into that. I love, I love when someone is, uh, you know, 
in crisis or they're trying to get past some sort of block. So I do like frustration. I like uh, sadness and grief and anger and rage and those things that, you know, aren't comfortable in, on the planet, you know, not as, as human beings, you know, we're taught from an early age not to show those things. And, um, and I did a pretty good job of that much of my life, but, but <laughs> on stage, it was, there was that availability. There was the, the um, expectation that you pursue those things. So I do love that sense of, of longing, of frustration, mm. of um, sadness, of trying to get past some sort of um, mental or emotional or physical block uh, in your way, some obstacle. Um, those are the most interesting things to me um, because when someone, I, I just like when there's something underneath it, you know. I feel so many of those emotions as I'm going through and as I was listening to the episodes of is, is, I still think about you and the fact right. of the matter is it's it's weird and I'll get to that in a moment but before sure. there's two things like I said I want to touch on because I'm, I'm chomping at the bit because all of those emotions I was feeling and I was hoping I wasn't wrong so I'm glad you said that but before that it's like mm -hmm. look I'm speaking of voice um that you've done you go into the realm of audiobooks and i don't mean you go into you've mm -hmm. done close to 150 so you're like a master at this at this point right um i'm a fan just that you can do that because i've i've done so far too mm -hmm. and i know how for me how difficult that is in terms of the talent and precision yeah how you do it, man? Well, you know, I I lucked out in that I was in I was in a Broadway show at the time, and and you know this great person from Recorded Books came to uh, see the play, and and she had me audition, and it was interesting. You know, I read like a a few pages of a few different kinds of books, maybe a fiction, a nonfiction, a memoir. And, you know, she had me come back the next day and read um, a thriller. And that's when she was like, okay, I'm getting it. I'm getting it. And, mm -hmm. you know, she, she was kind of like, I, I know that you're going to fit in somewhere. I'm just not sure exactly where it is. Um, and I just think, you know, I, I sight read pretty well. Like I'm a decent cold reader. Oh, and, gotcha. oh, gotcha. Um, and I think that's the most important thing. Cause I think many actors would be really good at this at storytelling. That's what we do, right. but you do have to be able to look at a page and not have memorized it and be, you know, know where the sentence is going, know where the sentence structure is going, know where the story is going, the, the character, sometimes the dialogue, they, they change, you know, shift back and forth and have a conversation and you have to create all those different people. And so that to me it's a learning curve for sure i mean my first few books i'm sure were terrible and now even even that said it can be tough sometimes to sustain your concentration but that becomes what it's about you know i think for people who are add uh it might be a little tricky because you might start thinking of other things and you you know you got to pay attention to what's on the page yeah, you got to tell the story and you have to you know keep it interesting for yourself without without really going off script and and you know you can't improv and you can't really add inflections and you're not just casually talking to someone like like we are right now <clears throat> but uh you know it's been a really great thing that started off as as sort of a supplemental career thing for me that has become much more, you know, primary at times, uh, especially during the pandemic, say. Um, and I really, I, I love the work. Um, 
I, I find it really gratifying at times. And, you know, sometimes it can be tough, like I said, to, to maintain that concentration. But, um, but at this point, I kind of know what I'm getting into each time, you know. I love that. And, and, and there's a million examples that I could use in the way that you are able to change your voice. One of the things I'm, I'm, I'm an admirer of is, as I continue to get to know you mm-hmm. is the sense that you don't have, you are great at subtly. The shifts mm-hmm. are more subtle than right. all of a sudden, okay, I need to sound like I'm just making up names. I need to sound like, oh, Christine. So I need to yeah. sound like a woman in her 20s. You and, and, and I love the fact that you most often choose not to, that mm-hmm. these are subtle shifts and shades. And I think in terms of the way that you're able to use your voice, I, for me, I would think that's actually more difficult than easy. And that's what I'm wondering as you are in those inflections, because you got to be in the story too. Yeah. It's like those choices that you're making, did that come yeah. easily I mean, for you? I, I, I feel like everybody's style is different, you know, and I, and I kind of trusted my style. And once they had me start doing a few books, I, I, you know, leaned into it maybe even more, I think, you know, to a fault at times, I, I think there are certain books that I did, especially early on when I didn't differentiate the characters enough, you know, say there was like two brothers that were on this sort of vision quest and one is, you know, 14 and one is 16. It's like, I, I think I, I could have probably done a better job, for example, of, of, of really right. making them different and distinct. Right. But I do, like you said, I like to keep it subtle um, mm-hmm. because when I listen to things, I like I like it more subtle. I, I think some people are more, um, much more vivid and much more like technically precise than I am, and and that's a valid choice too. Um, you know, I try to be precise in my own way, but I'm also aware that my voice is kind of an outlier for that kind of work. You know, I don't um, not maybe the 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 choice that I you know in my in my head. I would have guessed that many other people would have been right for that work and and I wouldn't have been, you know, until I was given that opportunity and learned how to do it. Then I was like, oh, okay, this is a valid choice and I need to kind of stick with that sense and make these characters different, but also close enough to me where they feel honest. And that was the most important thing is to not, you know, make you know, women characters sound kind of ridiculous and falsetto, you know. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, right, like caricatures and yeah. cartoons, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, that's a great skill. Look, I mean, many people are really good. And, and that does come into play when you have a book that takes place on another planet and you're creating maybe other sort of, you know, alien creatures. You know, you have to keep them sort of straight in your head, but you have more leeway to create those those um, characters. But you know, not everybody is Jim Dale. And not everybody's going to do the the Harry Potter books like he 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 did. I those cannot, movies. or I Amazing. I cut myself off. I cannot in my mind, so I don't, and yeah. I I tend to stay in a tighter range. And and look, it's so subjective because I think I know that the my style is not going to work for everybody. And when you're a listener to to an audiobook, you know, or right. or a podcast, you have to be really um, you have to you have to see if that voice is going to be something you're interested in listening to long form, you know, for 10 hours in a book or, or four and a half hours of a podcast or whatever it is. And, and I completely understand, you know, when people are like, I, I just can't, that, the voice, I, I can't get past it. You know, I get it. And then I know that people feel that about me too. And that's fine. You know, it's just really a subjective thing. You know? <laughs> I'd love that. 
And I don't feel that way a little bit, but I do find it funny. So mm -hmm. for me, I'm curious in terms of, uh, we were talking about ranges. And so you had the opportunity um, to, with the same production of the boys in the band, go from a Broadway, from a stage to a sound set. Uh, I'm not going to turn this into a my mother sort of a conversation that tends huh. to have people run. Other than the <laughs> sense that I've seen um, productions, I have I I was on one sound stage, and the one thing I learned was the old adage less is more and when we say less we mean a lot less mm -hmm. how were you able to keep a character going in a, in a big time production mm -hmm. from one medium to another you know yeah. and you're with a star-studded cast especially in the film version but i mean this is big yeah. time with the boys in the band how were you able to how were you able to modulate i guess so to speak I mean, and that's exactly what it is. It is it is modulating the performance, um, you know, literally and physically. Um, you know, uh, when you do a play, I mean, that's the that can be the tough thing, and that's where training really comes into it. Is right. You know, you have to send your performance out there to the back row, and sometimes, like in our theater um, at the booth, it's maybe eight hundred seats, mm -hmm. and you're doing that eight shows a week, and and that can be tough you know you can't just come off the street and do that i mean that does take the sort of training that that we all had to be able to do that certainly people who have never done plays right. can and and do but um in terms of understanding that the vocal uh projection and what that requires it does help to have had plays under your belt you know and um and you know, it's frustrating for people when they can't hear and we weren't mic'd in that show. And, you know, that was really tough too, because I mean, there were, there were maybe a couple of microphones embedded in the, in the stage, but that was more for like equal equalizing the sound and not so much, you know, actor for the actors, but, uh, you know, and then there was a scene with Jim Parsons and I where we were upstairs and in a bedroom and, you know, you're, you're under this, this, sort of overhang and you are there it's carpeted and everything's sort of sucking up the sound and so you really did have to find a way to keep the play honest and real and the conversation real even though you're four feet away from each other and right. get it to the back of the audience so so you know there that was probably the trickier part is is keeping it honest keeping it real and and subtle at times and and also you know having it be vocally you know, strong enough to, to get out there. Then when we did the play, um, I think we were all very aware of, of taking it down, but, but I didn't know how much until really we got there, you know, just because there were certain, um, whole scenes. There's a scene with Jim and I at the end of the yeah. play where we have a big confrontation and that was big and that was somewhat loud and, and subtle, hopefully in the, in the stage version, but, uh, you know, doing it for the, the film version, it was much quieter. It was much, I wouldn't say simpler, but there was much more nuance and much, uh, it was much more contained, you know, than it was, uh, than it was center stage kind of walking around a table and having a big face off and it being loud and big. So, you know, it was something that maybe we needed to be reminded of on a few occasions, certainly during the film, but a lot of it was very natural, you know, because we were in a very, the, the set was beautiful. We were in a small room, you know, we knew that it was, you know, raining outside and it was, it felt very contained and that we were just talking to each other and we didn't have to project out.
and we were all your mic under your costume. And so it really does pick up anything just as the camera picks up, you know, a look and you don't often have to have a line in mm-hmm. that place because yep. you can just give one look, which, which speaks volumes, you know? So, um, it was an interesting challenge, but, uh, it, it, it happened pretty seamlessly. So having the exact same cast by and large come from the one medium to another for yeah. you, two questions. Number one, where were you able to which which type of production for that specific show were you able to find the emotion more readily huh that's a good question i think i was able to find the emotion in both Uh, the difference is you know being on stage is kind of muscle memory you know so i would know every night you know when the play started that i would be kind of in this like a horse like chomping at the bit before you go through that door and you sort of change the whole temperature of the of the room the stage and the theater and you feel it you know and so there is that thing of like riding this wave you know being on this train this this fast moving train that you jump on and those things are all really true i mean those analogies really make sense to me it's like it's like surfing, you know, and you just go out and you have to kind of ride with, you know, the, how, how the, the show has been going so far and the audience right. that you're given that night. And, um, you know, so for me, the, the audience gives you so much energy and they hated my characters so much, at times, <laughs> you know, that um, it does, it, it's powerful. You know, you feel those things and yep, you're yep. in the moment and you're feeling like the energy of 800 people coming at you. Um, so for me, that, writing that does help with the emotion for sure in film or tv but in this case the doing the film version um the emotion was there but it's really like on a dime it's sort of like you know we're going to film this scene today probably or tomorrow and we might right. get there tonight but it might be tomorrow morning and so there is this sense of like you have to you have to be prepared at any time to uh to put it out there full force you know because that's what's going to be on, on on celluloid forever um or digital forever and you need to kind of uh be be present you know when when that is when that's asked of you and so it is a little i think harder with uh with film in some ways um it's much more contained so you're able to kind of uh you know show the 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 same emotion but in a way that you don't have the benefit of all the energy of the people All right, the only other question was this, and you already tipped it off, which is, as you were saying, people hated your character. What (laughs) was it like to be so mean and rough with, at that time, and still, America's hero, Jim Parsons, who was like, oh, he's so sweet, (laughs) and he's so nice. And meanwhile, you're like basically tearing his head off. It's like... Well, he wasn't so sweet and nice in this. You know? No, I know, <laughs> I know, but you, I get it. But what yes, I mean, but he is America's sweetheart. And they're thinking, and you see the pictures. Oh, I love him in Big Bang Theory. Blah God, blah. I know. Like oh, he's man. never done anything else. Oh, I yeah. get that. Well, <laughs> did people ever give you grief? <laughs> um, no, not so much grief as as I, I do think by that point in the show. I mean, for the for the listeners who maybe have seen it, there is that sense of. Um, you're never really quite sure what what my character Alan what his deal right. is there and you're never you know there was something interesting to me about wanting to do that play and really pursuing it is you know 50 years later is you know we see gay men at a different time um yeah. in in our culture when they weren't allowed to be themselves they could have you know lost so many things just by being 
out and, and gay. And yep, so, yep. you know, um, I'm, my character's living this life that, that Jim's character wasn't able to live anymore. And I think there's this jealousy, there's this envy, there's this sense of like, God, why, why me? Like, why, why are you allowed to do all this, um, have this life, you know, that's so easy. And, um, you know, all the characters in that play are really trying to make a connection. They all want to be loved. They want to, you know, uh, have all these things. They want, I don't know, traditional marriage or not. They want to be able to be respected in society as they should have been. And so I think that there was an element of that too, as he was just conflicted. And so he wasn't just mean. I mean, he did, I, did I know, punch the guy at one point. But um, so I think, you know, yes, yelling in America's sweetheart. Yelling at Mary Tyler Moore. Exactly. Is not, <laughs> um, but Jim, Jim's lovely. I mean, you know, he's just amazing to work with. And, you know, we've known each other since grad school, actually, that's at the right. Old Globe. And, you know, that's so right. in many ways, it's so much easier. That's, that's awesome. weird, like life imitating art, imitating life kind of thing. And, um, you know, so he he's so great to work with. But, you know, I think afterwards, people weren't always, um, you know, the the audience kind of understood that there was such a sadness to my character that I right. think it wasn't just that they loathed him, but right. But that's the levels and depths, and I think that's great. Um, and speaking of chomping at the bit, as you were talking yes, about earlier as well, too, I'm <laughs> I'm such a fan of what you've chosen to do, and 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 the portrait that you're painting with your uh, serial podcast. I still think about you. And and folks, as I said, this is this is a seven episode series, and it it reminds me. Now, look, I'm I'm no kid, but I remember my mom and dad when my mom is very much still alive, and, and my dad talking about old school serials. Mm -hmm. And there's a little bit of the feel of this. Yeah, Brian. I, like I said, look, uh, I'm, I you're cre you've created a character that is often autobiographical situations, yeah. maybe a little bit different, and you're bringing in other parts of the story. Here's a question. You just said it a little while ago, like like the, the ways that a gay man could and couldn't, you know, carry themselves depending on the time and the era. So right. I, I can't remember. I think it's episode two. It might be episode three where you talk about the fact of having, you know, things figured out at 27 and it's mm -hmm. about time. Yeah. Um, if I remember, I found that fascinating considering I didn't even come out till I was 42. So I'm like embarrassed of all the stuff oh. that I've missed, you know, uh -huh. in that regard. And you calling that in a sense, 27 and about time. Was uh -huh. that true for you in real life as opposed to Adam's uh, character? You know, yes. I mean, I don't, I don't think it was that I, like exactly knew what this was all those years and was like, Oh God, I can finally be free. But then there was right. a sense once I, once I put it in perspective and once I realized like, Oh God, all of that behavior and my whole, uh, a chunk of my life was trying to not be something or to make, make my life more comfortable or to justify some way of thinking or to, you know, put myself in this, in this box that, you know, obviously society wants you to yeah. be in, to be straight. And, and that was very much the sense growing up that you're, you're always kind of seeking a way in, or you're trying to find where you fit. And if you don't um, relate to all of the things that other people do who are straight, you, I got sort of quiet about it, you know? And I mean, it's interesting that, that you talk a lot about, um, 
your your whole thing is is sort of voice focused because you know so much of my time early on after i was a kid um you know i couldn't find my voice like i didn't know i just really was uh, fearful of speaking in public i was fearful of speaking in class i would get really nervous about it and when i was a kid i was much more it was much more easy you know i had no inhibitions and and i think once i went through puberty or adolescence I, there was this sense for a long time of being concerned with how i sounded and who was i and what was i projecting and and on stage it was a sort of a safe place to do that but it was more i had in my mind's eye that one day i could do this like i could be an actor like i could be speaking in front of groups of people uh i could be creating a podcast whatever it is and and you know without visualization as we know it now or self-help books or medication at the time i kind of did it on my own and it took a long time so when i say 27 about time i think for a few years in there college and afterwards i was kind of trying to figure out what my voice was who i was and how to how to speak how to breathe you know how to be i think that's great so i for those that don't know and by the way this episodic podcast is available pretty much anywhere you find your podcasts the show yes. is called i still think about you so yes. i will like i said there was parts of this that i felt that resonated with me so much and the emotions that we talked about earlier i would touch right. on and so in essence i, I if i got this correct that it, it's you're creating this during the time of covid which i Obviously, it wasn't that long ago, so I can remember what it was like for me in Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, and that you're, you know, taking walks. Oh, and so I'm guessing Jake the dog is, yes. is your actual dog. My actual dog who's in the next room right now. Yeah. Okay. Three legs <laughs> in each case? He has three legs. Yeah. Wow. All yeah. right. All right. Then I love it. I, I immediately was a big fan of Jake yeah. and his resilience. But here, I digress. The meat of this, by the way, this is not a story solely about Jake, um, <laughs> but it is to me a beautiful telling of a story of New York, yeah. a beautiful telling of a story of of a very progressive life with a ton of twists and turns and a lot of what I felt like ominous um, tension. Um uh, loneliness that I touched upon earlier as well to isolation yeah. frustration was a word you used I love right. that choice of words so mm -hmm. you created the story if I read correctly because of the fact you have these images that are going through your mind when you're walking your dog every day yeah yeah what was it like man well what it was like was you know I mean basically the podcast is is a story about an actor who moves to New York in the first few jobs he has and, and I think a few people that I met early on in my time in New York, you know, uh, came back in my life in, in, in significant ways, you know, different ways, uh, one dark, one light, say. Um, but the, the darker part of the story, the more ominous, mysterious, yeah. psychologically, you know, sort of twisted part was, um, was a guy that I knew from that time. And, and I think when I was walking Jake on the beach, uh, during the pandemic, early pandemic last yeah. year, um, I would kind of have these images of like, if someone was behind the bushes, like, who would that be? Or if someone was across the water, who would that be? Like, wow. you know, we start to kind of imagine things. I'm spending a lot of time out here on my own. I'm, I'm married, but my husband would be in the city for a few days. And so I, I you know, there would be these these moments of like uh, at night, you know, when I'm closing the, the, the shades or, 
you know, wondering if there was a figure in my yard, who would it be? <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's your mind goes there. My mind goes there. Um, and I also read a lot of thrillers and I like that genre. I watch a lot of those movies, read a lot of thriller novels. And, and this guy kept coming back to me. And this was someone from my past who was very much real. And it was a story that I realized, like, I never really told. And I, and I realized like, God, this is like interesting. And, and not in a way that is completely singular to people. I, I didn't want to make it too hyperbolic. I wanted to keep right. it in the realm of reality and, and explain sort of what happened to me because it is about obsession and it is about stalking and it is about really unhealthy, um, obsessive, uh, creepy and dark behavior. Mm-hmm. And what happened, like many things that I'm interested in, as you asked before, dramatically, you know, what happens when an ordinary guy finds himself in extraordinary circumstances. And so that's what it was like for me uh, creating this part of Adam, the part that's loosely based on me is, you know, you see this guy from, you know, Pittsburgh who moves to this big city and, you know, life kind of happens and in, in relationships happen. And, and um, you know, what happens to us when we are faced with things that we don't ever expect to happen, you know, and, and, the the dark things and the good things how do we navigate that and so it is about memory and it is about coincidence and loss and longing and all the things that i have been important to me in my life you know for better or for worse i mean definitely for better because it's shaped who i am and i think it's made me a more complex human being and you know hopefully a better partner um maybe a better actor you know right listen i you just said something i taking the extra step in this case, I think really brought the story to life. You said what you did is you envisioned, well, who would it be if they were around the corner? But yeah, I don't. Here's the but what I related to, I now realize that, and, and hence why you're writing dramas. Mm. <laughs> and I'm just a paranoid weirdo. But the fact <laughs> is, disagree. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but it was, yeah, that wasn't a clingy, needy attention thing for me, by the way. Just know that. But I was going to say, but what I like is that, but I could relate to the isolation. I could relate to the fear. I've lived in Philadelphia all my life. Uh, I've lived in Center City, Philadelphia for 25 years. I never, ever, until COVID and the racial unrest, I never felt afraid in Center City. Never. Yeah. And I often felt afraid and lonely. But I didn't yet think, well, who would it be around the corner? And I think that's what makes this story so damn fascinating. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, again, going back to what I said before was, you tell, oh, you're really strong in the way that you describe groups of people. So whether it was at the at the firm um, early on, or whether it was the group of actors at the bar, mm-hmm. um, or what have you, I love that you don't just describe in adjectives; you describe in types. Mm. Um, smart move, and I'm just curious as, as regards to what had you make that choice in terms of the voice, giving these, in essence strangers from decades ago a yeah. voice the molly ringwalds the uh, right. um the james deans I, yeah do it man well i i that's thank you i mean i think um it's it was an interesting thing i i don't really consider myself a writer by trade i'm an actor and so i think when i think back on i that's how i think back on things that's how i remember people is kind of by type i mean yep. there was that person who 
was Molly Ringwald, who we just kind of, it wasn't actually Molly Ringwald, but we say that oh, she right. looked a lot like her. And um, and the James Dean guy was very much, you know, he had that energy. And and those are the snap judgments we make as human beings at times, let's face yeah. it. And, and it's a way to sometimes remember people. But as people fade into memory and fade into kind of the past, I think there that happens even more so. You know, if you can't even remember someone's last name, but you remember the way they sat angular with a cigarette and always yeah. a little a little angry and a little pissed off and a little bit like, you know, sort of, uh, you know, not that interested in you. Like the, the, the visualization I get in my head is a very specific one or, um, you know, the people at the law firm, the, the artist who went to Oberlin and who was like a big sister who reminded me of one of the go-go's. I mean, those things are very, like those things are just images in my head of like, Oh yeah, I remember this woman. And I remember these conversations we had or, or just a blip about that person. But, but I, but I just kind of presented in a way that felt truthful to me and in a way that didn't go too far into descriptive language, but also just didn't sort of gloss it over in a, in a generic way. Like it was nothing. And I know you use other characters and other actors in the podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm focusing on you strictly because you are here, but yeah. I know that you also had the luxury and the good fortune of bringing great voices to life. Um, and I think that's awesome. Here's what I was also noticing, too, and I wanted to ask you just in that sense of um, you paint very vivid pictures in regards to New York. Mm -hmm. Both, actually. I mean, look, both New York and and the Hamptons. Um, And I I love, like, the way that you describe even, like, the grit and the cool of Hell's Kitchen. You know, when you were walking up, I think it was to Luther's place, um, if I remember correctly. And here's what I wanted to ask you, which is, like, I mean, this is, to me, as you have described it, a love letter to Broadway in New York City. Now, in 2022, Mm -hmm. what areas pull you in New York? When you're in New York, where do you want to go now as opposed to where you want to be in your 20s and 30s and climbing up walk-ups? Interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good question. You know, um, I live near the High Line, um, which is beautiful, um, also really crowded. But um, I, I do, you know, like being over on that part of town. It's a little bit like closer to the river. Um, you know, I, I had walked my dog there a lot in the, in the past. And I do like, um, I like being close to the river. I, I like water. I think it's amazing over there. Um, in terms of uh going out with friends you know um i i do like uh, the lower east side is interesting to me i mean not not in a way that it would have been in my 20s but um there's still interesting things happening there um i saw a movie there recently and there's this place essex market that's new that's almost like chelsea market but uh, oh okay newer and bigger and just interesting and and you know i love finding new things me and my husband both like you know maybe going to a new restaurant or a new area like that that is uh you know, a new, a new theater or a new, um, sort of, uh, food, food court or food area. Yep. Um, you know, there's, there's, uh, I, when I'm in the city and, and I've recorded audiobooks at different studios, um, mm-hmm. one is in Midtown, which is in the heart of the area that I know too very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was also the option often to go to industry city in Brooklyn, which, um, I often would choose a book and, and say, I'd like, I'd prefer it to do it at that studio this great um, studio uh, brick shop that's there. And I would record there because it's just, it, it has this cool energy about it. It's this amazing old factory and it, it or yep, factories yep. and it's like blocks long and there are businesses that have, uh, um, you know, there are businesses there and there are restaurants and, and, and food courts and just interesting things. They have bands there sometimes in the middle of the courtyard there. And it's just, uh, I feel, you feel like there's an energy there. 
And I feel like I'm still exploring New York when I'm there. Like I could, I could get lost. And I, I do like that about New York after being there for half my life. I, there, there, I do find it interesting. Sometimes if I look up at the street sign and I can't exactly recall like where I am, you know, and that happens fairly frequently, which is crazy in a city that you've lived for, for so long. But I would have to think that even though it's it, it, like, I, I doubt myself all the time. It's like, oh my God, am I getting too old? Am I forgetting things? I think what it also could be, and I like this, which is the fact that there's still some newness in a sense that there's still things for you to find out. I love that part. Yeah. Um, I used to get to New York a ton when I when I was working in, in, in terms of ad sales and, and socially too. Yeah. Uh, I haven't been to New York since COVID struck, so I'm grateful when you share right now, like you talk about new markets, new villages. Yeah, um, It may sound like a drag to you when you talk about the High Line and it's crowded, and to me it's a relief. Again, mm -hmm. if I live there, I might not be quite that cheerleadery, but I'm just grateful because it, it's the last place in the world I'd want to see go backwards. You know, it's the last yeah. place. It's needed and necessary. And I think you paint really, really great pictures. Um, yeah. Also, too, I mean, uh, you know, I as actors, we often roll our eyes about Times Square when you're in a show. Yeah. But, but yeah. the privilege of being in a Broadway show mm -hmm. and leaving and having like the, those streets filled with people, people right. who are who are, you know, thrilled to have seen you mm -hmm. in a show or they they want to get an autograph or talk to you for a minute about the play. And then it's true. You turn the corner and it's just like an illusion. Like you just, you're anonymous again, if you're me. Right. Right? Oh, I love you know, that. But I, I do love that about it. And I miss that. I have to say for how much actors have complained about like, oh my God, you got to just navigate this crowd or walk on yeah, the yeah. street because the sidewalks are packed with tourists. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I do miss that. And I, and I, I understand now how much that is taken for granted I by actors, right? because but you realize right. like that is what New York is. No. I mean, whether the sidewalks are too crowded or whether people are just going to the M&M store or the Hershey store no. and they're seeing yeah. you know, the Broadway show that they've seen, you know, five other times they've been to New York. There is still that sense that New York is um, is a place that people want to be and it's alive. And right. I just happen to be more curious. So I like to get out and do different stuff, which I think has saved me mentally over the years. I love the curiosity you just i remember when i moved to center city philadelphia and again i'm not comparing but it was just moving into yeah. center city and i remember in the building i was in i was talking to like a new friend right and we both lived in the high rise and we were, we were both you know talking and, and and he described it as this he's like oh my god john he said and it was a saturday afternoon it was like a saturday four o'clock we're in the pool and we're staring out and everything's great right um and it's new and it's fresh and great and i'm not jaded or about and, and what he said, he's like, John, we're in this place where people plan days, weeks, months in advance to come to. Mm -hmm. And then they have to worry about the babysitter yeah. and where am I going to park and, and how much money will I need and what are we going to do to fill X hours of time and right. I need to get all this in and blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And the fact of the matter, he said, and, and for you and me, he said, we could put on a ball, come out of this pool, put on a ball cap and dry pair of shorts, yep. water outside. And at that time, I said, get a newspaper. Mm -hmm. And it's great. Yeah. And I love the visuals, the way that you're describing New York. I think it's needed, maybe for you too, but mm -hmm. I think it's needed to remind of what a privilege and what a rush it is. I love it. So thank yeah. you for those reminders, man. Yeah, um, thanks.
Hey, I have two more questions. And sure, one of them is this. You describe an emotion in the podcast or, or, or a term, and uh, probably not the most technical term I've ever heard. I just liked it a lot. Okay. And you were talking about in terms of like the ways that people age, and you were describing something, if I heard you correctly, backfootedness. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I love the expression. Talk to me. What does that mean to you? Oh, man. You know, it's funny. Thanks for picking up on that. I do mention that a few times. The character that I play loosely, Adam, he has like this inner voice that speaks to him at times. And it is mostly helpful. And it is also a little questioning or judgmental at times. But, but, um, you know, when he's up against certain situations, it sort of reminds him of certain things. And, and backfooted to me is just, um, this sense of like, uh, it's almost like an acting term, like there's like front footed acting, there's um, when you're kind of muscular and you're like, you know, in charge and you really want to say something to make a point and you're very uh, direct and you're very, you know, um, uh, precise about something or tough or, you know, there's like a punch to it. And backfooted to me is more laid back and it's more easygoing or more cautious or more, um, you know, unsure. And so there is that sense, I'm not sure which one uh, point in the script you're referring to, but there are a few times when I think of people say, um, say that the, the people that I worked at the restaurant with, that mm-hmm. there was there was this sense of, um, you know, I say sadness or they yeah. it seemed like everybody was a little slapped in the face by the reality of New York. You move mm-hmm. there, you want to be an actor, you want to be a songwriter, a musician, and you realize how hard it is. And so what it, it often creates a guardedness and a backfootedness. Um, of, I feel like there's some caution in that. I feel like there's some armor in that. And I feel like it's um, it's less of the kind of uh, 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 warrior, you know, of, you know, uh, strength, and also less of like the puppy dog of being blissfully unaware moving to a city, maybe, where you're just kind of like open to everything. Um, So I think back footed to me means that you are, you have some experience, you have some caution, and maybe you're, you know, leaning away from a situation. Okay, I love it. Um, you've alluded to him several times. Does Ron help you get out of a back foot in this mode? Uh, <laughs> um, he does, actually. That's a really good question. Thank you. And I mean, he, he really does. He's very curious about the world. I think that's what uh-huh. has really been great about our relationship. I mean, um, I'm sort of more artistic by profession than he is. He's a businessman, but he loves to travel. He loves to any opportunity he gets to get away or to do something or to 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 get his groove on in the city or go see music. I mean, he does things that um, I wouldn't say are always out of my comfort zone, but at times it really is. And I've had some amazing times in my life because of of Ron mm-hmm. and because of him wanting to do something adventurous and something cool or something, or just making the plan to do it. Whereas I might be like, ah, I'm good. I don't need to, you know, I'll just, you know, stay home or go to a movie or do this other thing. And and he's more like, no, let's, let's go away or let's go here or let's get on, on an ATV in the rain and, you know, ride around Turkey and, you know, see like this incredible like sunset and weird rock formations. And, you know, you're suddenly there and you're like, oh my God, all this is because you, had this idea of like, let's do this today, you know? Um, so that's been helpful to me for sure. Um, being with someone who wants to, to explore life and to be curious and to be adventurous and to sort of be more front footed. Gosh, I, I, that, that, that's such a rush. Um, folks, I think everybody needs a run in their life. <laughs> I agree. As time goes on. Um, <laughs> Right. And I, I know Ron George, so I was going to say a type like, <laughs> but, um, but I got to say, I think that's 
freaking great. I lied. I had a couple more last questions. You got it, John. Hey, top of mind, mainly no need to mainly no need to overthink, but I'm always just curious and I ask a lot of my guests the same questions, which are who influences you right now? Who do you like listening to? Um, there's a podcast I've been listening to called Huberman uh, podcast. I don't know his first name even, but he just talks about like the brain and neuroplasticity and behavior and habits and, um, you know, supplements and just sort of mental stamina. And, um, it just gets a little heady, but I, I find it like really sort of intriguing. Um, you know, in terms of like influences right now, it's tough to... I mean, there's so much content certainly out there that um, I, I'm always like looking for, you know, a really good show or a good podcast. Um, you know, I do a lot of, uh, I, I, as I said, I, I read a lot. So I'm mainly reading fiction these days. I love so, it. Brian, yeah. voices, I mean, they get your attention. When you hear somebody's attention, whether it's an influencer, whether it's a friend of yours, whether blah, blah, like a voice when you hear, it's like, oh, I love that voice. I'd love to hear more from that person. Speaking, I think, more than singing in that case. Wow. That's that's a really good question. Um, I'm not sure how I I'm not sure how I would answer that. Like just just like a vote, like a vocal thing without um, I mean, yeah, I listen to like a lot of music. Yeah. yeah, for me, anytime I hear Mel Robbins and anytime she speaks, mm -hmm. I'm drawn in. Then the yeah. content, then the intention and all that stuff comes. But it's the emotion that I hear in her voice Interesting. that, that yeah. is to me unusual. And it's like, oh, I need to hear more. And then mm -hmm. all the, the intelligence, the research, the suggestions, blah, 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 blah. But it's that sense. Is there anyone that you could think that like draws you? Like, oh, I love the sound of that voice. I want to um, hear more. Man, that's a good question. I, I'm, I'm like trying to blank a bit about Don't worry. Who about who I might choose for that. Yeah. Well, that's okay. We'll choose you. In, in, oh, in, in, right? In terms of overall. <laughs> but hey, one last, which is simply sure. this. Um, You've done a lot. And and as I said, I, I, I told you I, when I talked before, I didn't want to just rattle off your bio, but for the love of God, there's a lot of ground to cover between audiobooks and acting and theater and television, film and music back in, you know, and singing. And there's a lot, and that's just surface. Is there anything you haven't done yet that you're like, I got to do this? Oh, and you haven't I mean, shared it yet. And if so, I want to share it right now. Well, thanks. I mean, there's so many things that I haven't done yet. And I think that's what gave me permission to do the podcast. I, I, I talked to a lot of young actors. And as I said, I, I do headshots for young actors. I, I'm a judge at one of the, um, the, the college theater acting competitions. And, and I end up doing workshops with, with students. And one of the things I say is, you know, you have to fill your time with stuff that is interesting. It makes you a more interesting person, a more interesting actor to be curious about the world, to try different things and, and, you know, make your own films. It's never been easier, you know, all those things. And so I think, yes, certainly making a, a, a film of some sort or, or uh, creating some sort of serial uh, um, uh, drama for, for television or another podcast, anything like that, you know, that, that pushes my sort of creativity forward. Um, you know, I'm certainly used to working on other people's projects and I, and I love that too. I love doing new plays, um, and, and doing the TV that I've done for sure, but creating something on your own and, and this podcast, having been the first time I really produced something, I did find real satisfaction in that. So, you know, from the casting, my friends, 
in it and who I thought would be good and them delivering like beyond what I imagined, um, you know, from, you know, choosing the guy who did some of the supplemental music to using my brother's music, like uh, producing it all and putting it together was really such a blast that I think uh, producing would be something that I would be really, you know, in, intrigued with. You know, and, and, you know, and to, to get back to your other point, I'm, I'm not sure of like a, like a voice that I think of, but I will say one person who has like surprisingly influenced me over the years, I will say, maybe not vocally as much as just what he's done with his career is Ethan Hawke. And it's because I think, you know, we're at a similar age. We're totally different as actors. And um, I met him a few times. He's a nice guy. I don't know him well, but there's this sense about him just that I was talking about like he is unafraid to try anything you know mm-hmm. even if you're criticized you're you're a you're a young guy in movies you're you know coming of age in films uh you're criticized for doing like Shakespeare on Broadway oh, uh, he wrote a couple not ready. yeah right. you're not ready how dare you um yeah. you're blowing your voice out you don't have the voice for this um uh you wrote a book you wrote another book you know you're an artist you're a musician you're a guitar player you you know you you're writing shit you're directing shit you know it's just there's something uh, yeah like there's something about him in the unabashed way that he goes about his career and and the finding new things to do and the being unafraid and the the going boldly forward you know without that critical voice in your ear or even if there is a critical voice or, or literal critics that are coming at you you just kind of move on to the next thing and you just keep doing it. And it makes you a more interesting person. And so I think as much as maybe he's been criticized at times for trying these things, you know, how dare you? I think those are the things that make you your time on the planet more interesting. Mm. So I, I find him very sort of moving as an artist because I think that he has created the artistic life that he envisioned. Brian, I love that. And speaking, speaking of loved, I kept you long and I feel like I, barely scratch the surface. <laughs> well, I we can do it again. Scott. So I'm really grateful for all of this. You, you've dropped so much great information in terms of helping other people, which is really the whole point of this. Right. Ryan, I will have your podcast link right here so that people will find you on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, everywhere you get your podcasts. How else would you like them to find you? I found you on Instagram. I'll have that link there too. Instagram's a great you want them to go to find more about you. No, I mean, Instagram's a great, uh, it's a great tool these days. I mean, Mm -hmm. I I do post a lot there that things that are important to me, personal things, but also um, business related things and, and marketing. And I'd made some videos for the podcast uh, in order to kind of get interest. And I put a lot of those up. So um, I'm on Instagram a decent amount where I would get uh, um, messages from people. But um, you know, there's, uh, I think there's a link on the, on the website. If people are interested in the podcast, it's, um, you know, I still think about you.com. There is a website for it, which I think has some, uh, information about all the actors there and myself included. So, you know, I'm doing all three. So as I said, we have all of those there as well too. (laughs) Ryan Hutchison, as I am thrilled to get to know you better, first off, selfishly, I like it. I like it. You know, you made it a pleasure for me and thank you. And folks, You just heard another episode of Your Message Received. Again, we're here to help you find your most authentic voice. Guys like Brian Hutchison, who have paved the way and still keep doing so, uh, are going to help it make, make this a little bit easier for us. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm John Duffin with Duffin Media, and we will be back with more from Your Message Received. Keep listening, liking, sharing, and we will 
see you soon. Have a great day. Thanks. And now, making its way across the finish line, your message received has been a production of Duffin Media.